0: It's Blissen Up. I'm your host, Rachel Lang, intuitive astrologer. Get starstruck with inspiring guests and engaging conversations. Blissen Up starts now. Woo Woo! All right, welcome, welcome. This is Blissen Up, and I'm Rachel Lang, your host on this weekly voyage into the magical world of astrology where we dip into spiritual dimensions, explore symbolic language that informs us and reflects our temporal experiences and glean meaning into, uh, to, that allows us to enrich our lives. So that's what it means to live blissfully. It's living purposefully, intentionally, and most importantly, connectedly. So I am joined today by John Williams. Hi, John.
1: Good morning, Rachel. Welcome.
0: How how are you? I'm good,
1: I'm good. Did you have a happy holiday?
0: I did. It was wonderful. Good, and How good, about good. you?
1: Yes, yes, it was wonderful as well. So it's good to be back and in the flow, yeah. right? Yeah,
0: yeah. We missed you last week. I mean, we love Tony, but we missed you. We missed. Yeah, that
1: I'm week. sorry about that. I was so sick that week. Oh, I
0: know. But thank God for healing. Yes, and, thank you for those healing vibes. <laughs> yes, aww. <laughs> well, yeah. So it it is a uh, you know it 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 is that holiday season, and and I am actually broadcasting today from St. Louis, Missouri, where my family's from and I've just spent the last few days being immersed in love and food and and holidays and it's been wonderful.
1: That's so, great.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I am broadcasting today from the studio of Touchstones, which is a dear friend of mine, Jill Evans Petzel, has a jewelry line called Touchstones, and you can find it on touchstonestouch.com. And I'll I'll post I'll be posting some information about that on my website. But so I, I'm 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 broadcasting from the studio. I'm surrounded by stones and crystals and and pearls, and I've got jewelry everywhere. I've got, you know, this this pearl necklace here um, that is just so stunning and delectable. And then labradorite, which is one of my favorite stones that has very magical properties, and uh, and silver and gold and all of these all of these I mean I just I'm going crazy I'm just you know <laughs> for this Libra with a Taurus rising I you couldn't ask for anything better than a room full of stones you know yeah. <laughs> and and this this turquoise one too which is just absolutely stunning and and this piece she's offering 10% off um, if you uh, if you say that you saw it on the show today so it's a uh, it's really exciting. So that's Touchstone's Touch, and uh, I'm uh, I'm just, I'm so grateful to be here and broadcasting from such a, an energy-rich place.
1: Yeah, it looks uh, great.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, and and I'm really excited because today, you know, we, we have such an exciting show. First of all, we're still in the darkness of winter, in the heart of, of Capricorn season, when... You know, under Saturn's solid instruction, we can start to see new ways that we can build new structures to support our growth. And, And this allows us to sort of abandon any unstable constructs that keep us locked into unhealthy patterns or unhealthy relationships or jobs that don't serve us. And so this is a time of year when we set intentions and we start looking forward at the new year, and we're, we're sort of guided by our imagination, and, and so there's possibility. You know, what can we create? And so all of us together here today are part of a community of believers in possibility, when we are all connected by our curiosity and enlivened by hope. And so with the same spirit, we enter into this show looking into 2015, and, and I, th- I like to think of magic in terms of, of, um, of you know, Carolyn Casey says that magic is participation with everything. And, and I like to think that magic happens when we learn how to play with the elements. So that's earth, air, fire, water. We learn how to play with those nature forces of nature, the natural world. We understand divine timing that's been mapped out for us in the stars. And then we fearlessly set intentions from our hearts to the heavens. And so it magic is participation and co-creation. And that's what that's what we're doing here today. We are going to be manifesting for the new year, a little bit more magic. So I am so excited because I've welcomed an official magician, a wizard who is an astrological master, Rick Levine. And today on our show, we'll be talking about some of the astrological highlights of this coming year so that you can be prepared to make the most of of some of the influences and really live an expansive, full, complete and blissful year. So Rick is a fiery Aries. With a Gemini rising, he's so much fun, and and I've I've been seeing I've I've been seeing him in in conferences and astrology conferences. I've been reading his his horoscopes on tarot.com for years, and so he's uh he's really he's really a, he really is a master, and he knows how to connect spiritually um what with some of the cosmic phenomena that we have happening in our astrological universe. So. Rick is—he's um, you know the author of several books and several magazine articles and co-host of the Planet Pulse podcast that you can download on iTunes, and he's also the founder—one uh, he's the founder of the Center for Astrological Research and Education, and he was a founding trustee of the Kepler College for Astrological Arts and Sciences near Seattle, Washington. And uh, and and so he's going to be joining us a little bit uh, later in the show. So feel free to ask any kinds of questions, and um, and also for you know you can chat questions about the coming year and ask you know what it might mean for you and how you can make the most of it. So feel free to join our chat. Feel free to call us with questions. And so because we have such an exciting, action packed show today. I'll just give a real brief overview of some of the astrological influences of our week ahead. Then you can read more on my website, blistenup.com, um, for kind of a more fleshed out version of, of, of the forecast. So, um, and, and also I want to announce that I'll have my 2015 horoscopes in The Live Box magazine by January 1st. So you can find that at the theliveboxmagazine.com. And, uh, and there you can also get beauty advice, and fashion tips and information that you won't find anywhere else. So it's it's a fun site to check out anyway, uh, the Livebox magazine. So this week starts with a lovely moon in Pisces today and most of tomorrow. And uh, up until about 1035 Pacific time tomorrow night when the move, moon moves into fiery Aries. So the moon in Pisces is great for you water signs, especially because of we have some, some really nice grounding Capricorn influences with Venus in Capricorn, Mercury in Capricorn, the Sun in Capricorn. And so under this influence with the moon in Pisces, all this Capricorn grounding earthy influence, you can purify any stuck or stifled emotions. That's what Pisces Moon does. It brings things up to the surface, and, and, it, and it kind of pushes you, it asks you to get out of denial and to move past things. So it, it's a great time for healing any family, family situations, especially since things might be up during the holiday season. It's also a really good time to reach out um, with anyone who, who you've been in in relationship with, and that the relationship has been in struggle a little bit. So it's a good time for that. We are in a bit of a transition, when, you know, things are shifting, things are changing, and, and even the electromagnetic frequency of our environment is in flux. So we're entering a year with planets and mutable signs, so we're kind of swimming our way through reality. And, and you fixed signs are going to get really great insights and, and lessons in how to go, let go with fluidity and grace. And so this weekend kind of starts that process for you. Sunday, the moon moves into Aries, and it squares the sun in Capricorn. And so things get a little bit Intense, maybe a little bit of tension starts to arise, especially for our cardinal signs: Aries, Capricorn, Libra, and Cancer. So try to slow down the urge for impulsive action and stay connected to your goals, especially those relationship goals. Move carefully through conflicts," um, said the pacifist Libra. So um, Sunday is is really a day to you know sort of keep seek guidance. Accept change. Ask questions versus, you know, jumping to conclusions. Then Monday, we have a really great Jupiter trine, um, lunar trine to Jupiter. That's really good for our fire signs. Leo, Aries, Sagittarius. It's going to add illumination to challenging circumstances. So use the influence of the day, not to deny problems, but to imagine solutions, especially our Pisces, Geminis, and Sagittarians. And then on Tuesday... The earth sign influence is great for looking at budgets, projections for the new year. Um, it's a good time to balance needs, wants, and urgings, especially for our earth signs. And then Wednesday is New Year's Eve, and the moon is still in earthy, sensual Taurus, And so it's a good time to you know, sort of indulge those senses, go out for good food, drink good wine, don't hold back. Let, let the let the the end of the year you know sort of a, end with a with a bang with with celebration of the senses, um, plan delicious outings and and dinner parties, and uh, then Thursday we have the New Year, uh, the New Year's Day, and it's a great day for an afternoon party or a celebration. The moon's going to be in happy, friendly, curious Gemini. And the mercury influence adds just a little bit of fun and a a lot of connectivity for your New Year's Day. So it's a really good time to be with people and sort of, you know, make, make the most of that influence. So that is a really short glimpse into our week. We have so much more to talk about. So we'll take a really short break. And then when we come back, we'll be joined by our guest, very special guest, Rick Levine. So stay tuned. Blood. and I'm your host, Rachel Lang, and I have a very, very special guest with me, Rick Levine. Hi, Rick.
2: Hi, I'm your guest, Rick Levine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Rick, Rick, is, Rick is an Aries, and uh, he's got a Gemini rising, and... And we never know what to expect when when Rick is on the show because he's just you know he's full of, of interesting thoughts and his ideas sort of swirl around and so and so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an adventure we're gonna take everybody on for the next for the next uh, few minutes almost yeah, an gem- hour. G-
2: Gemini risings move fast enough that my line for Gemini is how can you be two places at once when you're nowhere at all.
0: <laughs> that's great and I, I know some of the people in the, in the, in the chat today and I, I think that we are going to have um, we're going to have uh, several Geminis uh, who can totally relate to that so, so that's great um, now Rick, for the, for the people who, don't, who aren't familiar with you which uh, I don't know where they've been but um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with astrology and sort of how you got started
2: Ooh, good question. Well, um, ever since being a kid, I've always been a voracious reader, and I've always been attracted to reading things that are on the edge. I mean, in junior high school, uh, I was reading a lot of science fiction and books on UFOs and telepathy and palmistry and astrology and all kinds of stuff. And by the time that I got to college – uh, I was in college at at an Eastern University during the crazy years from '67 to '71, and astrology just came in with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> and and um and I began studying it, and I was going to become a Jungian psychologist. My undergraduate work is in psychology, oh, wow. and um and I decided not to take that path to be an astrologer. But, um, I've never stopped reading, and I do kind of have a psychological uh, orientation. I come from that psychospiritual movement of where uh you know where psychology met Eastern thought that occurred through the sixties and seventies, and so that's really my my primary background
0: mm, excellent and And you've written several books you've written. Articles, you write for you write horoscopes, daily horoscopes for tarot.com. So you're also really prolific with words as well. So well, the, you have the,
2: the daily horoscopes are about a thousand words a day. So I've been doing that for 12 years, which means that that's about 4 million words because I write about a third wow. of a million words a year. And then for eight years, um, I wrote a book with my uh, astrology partner at StarIQ.com, Jeff Jauer, and Jeff and I wrote eight annuals for Barnes and Noble. So those were the big, you know, your year ahead kind of books, but mm-hmm. uh, it was just too much not doing that anymore, but still writing my daily and occasional articles and and some other things.
0: Great, great. So you are, so you're really the perfect person to talk about. Um, what kind of influences we can expect coming into 2015 and how, how we can really make the most of, of this year. I'm here. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's, let's start with, um, I guess let's start with the, with the big one. Uh, we have the final, the seventh and final Uranus-Pluto Plu square, square happening in March.
2: Yeah, I think we I think we need some trumpet and drum fanfare for that. You know that. And now presenting the seventh and final. There we go.
0: <laughs> John's always ready with the sound cues. <laughs>
2: well done. And here we are again at the Uranus Pluto Square. They're coming around the home stretch and they're heading for the finish line. And which will it be? Revolution? or settling back into the deep sleep. What we have with Uranus-Pluto squaring, and and, and I must say that although the seventh and final um, Uranus-Pluto square in this series that began in 2012, and the sixth and, what's the right word, penultimate, Um, square uh, was just a couple of weeks ago. So we're right now in that Uranus-Pluto square period that will ease off a little, but not much until March uh, of 2015. But I must say that even though the square is technically culminated in March of 2015, that the effects will be resounding for years to come. If you look back at the precedent to this Uranus-Pluto square, you look at the Uranus-Pluto conjunctions that occurred in the summer of 1965 and 66. And what's going on now can all be pinned back to that point, just like at a new moon or at any beginning of a cycle, things are born at the uh, Uranus-Pluto conjunction in 65, 66. We had the beginnings of what now um, are, you know, drugs as medical and as recreational in many states have come back. That happened during the 60s. We have the ecology thing, what started as Earth Day, you know, and and the ecological interest in the 60s is back on us now with climate change and and so on. Um, The feminist movement that happened in the 60s is now back on us with a whole new wave of gender issues and um, you know legalized uh, marriages and, and and so on. The gender issue is back up. We had revolution in the streets then. Now we have it all over the world. We had the Arab Spring and the Occupy, everything. And, I, and the list goes on and on. The point is that even though the Uranus-Pluto conjunction was in 1966 and 67, what we call the sixties didn't really die down until about 1972. And when we look back at this phase and we see what happened during this Uranus Pluto square, we will say it didn't die down until about 2017 or 18. So even though it's exact now, it's like the lag of seasons that says the first day of winter, isn't the coldest day. We have the lag of planets. And it takes time for some of these bigger, you know, bigger rhythms to play on through.
0: Absolutely. And so for, for those of you who are wondering how, how, is this, how does this apply to your life and, how, and what can you do? To, you know, th- first of all, think about where you were and what was happening. What were some of the big themes that were up for you in June of 2012? Because that's really when, we, when, the, when, it, when it went exact the first time. And so you can, you can sort of see, you know, uh, a progression of events. And and that same theme is going to be kind of resurfacing again so that you can get, con- so you can reach a conclusion and sort of draw, put a bookend on it.
2: And, yeah, you know, uh, and R- Rachel, I think that it actually even goes back to Uranus's ingress or, <clears throat> excuse me, movement into Aries mm-hmm. uh, back, back in March of 2010. In fact, on the exact day of the Fukushima earthquake, tidal wave, nuclear meltdown. That was the hello from the cosmos that really moved us into this period. Again, with these outer planet aspects, I think we need to allow some, uh, I I like to call, I, I use the word slop, as a technical word, I call it the cosmic slop factor. Um, uh-huh. But the fact is that that yeah, we look back into what we, what was going on in our lives back in 2010, 11, and and then in the spring of you know 2012 for sure. And 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 I think though that the two planets involved, Pluto, which is about deep evolutionary transformation. Pluto is the lord of the underworld and we forget though that Pluto is the underworld of each and every one of our individual lives is our unconscious. It's our bodies. It's the stuff that doesn't come up to the surface. And so, Pluto, like it did during the 60s, the energy that was repressed and suppressed, the energy that was underground came out into the open with a force of Uranus. And Uranus is like lightning. You know, when the tension builds, and Uranus is the planet that relieves whether you knew it was there or not and so we look at for example the civil rights of the 60s and the civil rights of what's going on now again in the streets it's not like anyone who's been paying attention really thought that it went away completely Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden with the Uranian now here and now intensity the lightning is striking and that's all over the place again
0: Absolutely. And I think it's interesting, too. So if you look at this, like, so you're talking about the subconscious and so much of our subconscious reality is built of these institutions that we're born into, whether they're religious institutions or familial, you know, structures and, and systems in place. And Uranus is in Aries sort of represents our individual selves. You know sort of where where we're where we're sort of, you know how we revolt or how we sort of rise up autonomously um, within the context of these institutions. And so I think that that's another layer of the symbolism of these two planets in square.
2: Yeah, and of course, if you add to that the fact that Pluto is in Capricorn, right. then we look at the social structures. You know, yeah. we look at Capricorn is fundamental structure. And, and in a way, this is um, uh, Nietzsche, who many people don't understand at all. Nietzsche talked about this thing called nihilism. And what he really defined as nihilism was that the things that reached the top of the mountain eventually deconstructed and fell back down into the valley. <laughs> you know yes. and Capricorn is the top of the mountain it yeah
0: absolutely and Pluto
2: is deconstruction so we see these these iconic um structures at the tops of the mountain the banks the governments the police you know the 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 church these institutions that allegedly are holding the moral high ground and we see them as amoral that's part right. of this de- with with Uranian suddenness, where the issues come up. And the real question for me is because, as you said, Rachel, this really needs to be brought back to each and every individual. Um, Carl Jung, in the last book that he wrote before he died, a book called The Undiscovered Self, said that the salvation of the world or the end of war will not come about by politicians running around making treaties it'll come by the salvation of each individual within the world and here's where astrology steps into the equation because the the real issue is where are where where are we in our individual lives Um, suppressing our feelings and Mm -hmm. as you I'm sure know but maybe some of the listeners do not the difference between suppression and repression is one is you're aware and one is you're not if you know you're doing it you're suppressing it but often it's the things that we are repressing we don't even know that we're holding back we can't remember what created it and unconsciously we're living our lives and we're living out these things where we're holding energies back so The question becomes where in our individual lives are we suppressing consciously or repressing unconsciously the need for freedom, for individuation, for growth? And how can we look in the individual relationships in our lives and bring that energy to those relationships because it's the brush fires in our personal lives that actually build collectively to make things happen like, you know, Afghanistan you know yes. or you know the 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 big fires there
0: yeah yeah that's so beautiful i love that and 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 so and and you know fire that as an element has the ability to ignite and spark you know that it's it's contagious
2: yeah so, well you know in the Jung, in the jungian metaphor fire is actually intuition which is really interesting because yeah, fire do, fire do, well it's it's thinking feeling intuiting and perceiving are the four uh-huh. Four elements of Jungian psychology of four types. He never called it Jungian psychology. <laughs> he, right. he, he, he called <laughs> it analytical psychology or the psychology of four types thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuitive. Mm-hmm. Tuting, where thinking is air and feeling is water and sensing is earth and intuiting is fire. But here's the thing fire doesn't think about what it's going to do next, fire acts. Right. Fire does what it does to keep the spark alive yes. and to increase the combustion that fire does. Yes. And yes, yeah, so the spark. Of awakening yeah. that's hitting as 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 Uranus is moving into Aries and we get these new ideas and new things. It's those are the things that we have to figure out how are we going to sustain. And we do get some help in 2015 as Sagittarius as, as uh, Saturn, Saturn moves into Sagittarius. Exactly. It begins to pick up on a trine on a harmonious elemental similarity. Sagittarius is fire air is fire, I'm sorry, um, Aries is fire, um, Saturn moves into Sagittarius, it begins picking up on a harmonious trine to Uranus, it takes these sparks of crazy independence and sudden explosive energy, and it says, take a deep breath, and how are we going to make this last?
0: Exactly. It's about
2: making it persist.
0: Right, right. And, and I think it's interesting, too, because while Saturn is moving into Sagittarius, so we have Saturn and Aries both in fire signs. The planet Jupiter, which is right. the, the planet of luck and expansion, and and the planet that rules Sagittarius, yeah. it's moving out of a fire sign, and and so it's moving into Virgo. It's moving into an earth sign, a mutable earth sign, which I think could be really interesting. Um, just just as uh, it sort of like adds an element of tension, um, because Saturn and uh, because Sagittarius and Virgo are both. And it's um,
2: true. It's it's true, but wait a second. I'm the Aries. People are supposed to be telling me to slow down. You're already in the second half of the year because for the <laughs> f- <laughs> because for the first for the first half of the year, we have Jupiter in fiery um Leo. We okay. have Saturn in fiery Sagittarius and Uranus in fiery Aries. And even though the angles aren't exact, we're getting this fire trine buzz. Of we got to do something now. Don't think. Do it. It's the Nike commercial. Commercial, Just do it. It's like move into action. And then, yes, the energy shifts dramatically in 2015. From all this energy of doing an action, action into what you're calling a mutable energy. Or a changeable or adaptable energy. As Jupiter moves from fiery Leo into more practical and, and more useful, um, Virgo. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which will happen in August. Um, Robin in the chat says, could Rick speak speak about Saturn in our lives individually?
2: Well, I could, but my, I, I, I think that this is probably where I should mention one of my favorite Christmas carols. Oh, and, yes! and, 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 and it's, <laughs> And it goes like this, and I may or may not sing it, but I'll certainly share the words. It's, you better watch out, you better not cry, you are not pout, I'm telling you why, Saturn's claws are coming around. He's making a list, he's checking it twice, gonna find out if you pay the price, Saturn's claws are coming around. He knows when you've been playing, he knows when you're at work, he knows if you've been bad or good, and he knows if you're a jerk, so... You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Saturn's claws are coming around. Saturn, Saturn is karma. Saturn is you get what you deserve. You know, people forget even astrologers, that Saturn Satan, they are one and the same word. It's just that Saturn's gotten a bad rap for the past few thousand years from the Judeo-Christian tradition um, that basically says that if we're born of original sin, then we always should get shit <laughs> it always should be bad <laughs> right and and so saturn the planet of you get what you deserve has turned into a devil that says you always get what you deserve and you deserve crap so you're going to go to hell now here is a perfect segue into back into the uranus pluto square because pluto is the lord of the hell realms you know mm-hmm. saturn is Absolutely. the gatekeeper right. you know saturn and 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 in a way Saturn is a you get what you deserve, but we need to remember that hell may not be the place where you go to get punished. It may, in fact, be the place that William Blake wrote was a place, quote, so beautiful it would torment an angel to insanity. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which it's which is interesting because Saturn it it gives you those hard, hard, hard lessons. So oh, that, yeah. So that you and it's like the karmic stuff that you're here to look at, but it's yeah. ultimately so that you can achieve mastery over that. That oh, yeah. Era.
2: Saturn is the planet that says no, but kind of means yes. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a, se- in a sexual <laughs> yeah. overtone at all. Saturn Saturn basically wants to help you make something that lasts. Right. And if you just run in and do it like, like me, like an Aries, sometimes it lasts for 30 seconds. Saturn says, no, wait, stop. Don't do it. Hold on. Slow down take a deep breath, suck it in and make a real plan. Because when Saturn tests us, what he's really doing, it's the old no pain, no gain. Saturn, the tester, the taskmaster, is saying, get, get your act together so that what you do really works. I agree with what you just said completely. Yeah.
0: And, and I think, you know, so, so we look at Sagittarius and we look at what is, what are we gaining mastery over? What is Saturn and Sagittarius helping us to, to realize and to learn? And, And Sagittarius is spirituality, it's faith, it's religion, it's truth. And so it's interesting so you're talking No wait about wait
2: wait you said a lot of things all together. Yeah. Now are you saying that religion is truth? <laughs> this is no, a good no, 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 one. No 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 no. It's no, also no, no. opinion, it's also opi- it's also opinion. Right.
0: The the the, the perception <laughs> of truth. It, it, because truth is nuanced all the time.
2: Yeah so there's good news and bad news in Sagittarius. I mean, it's certainly the drive. I mean, it's the archer shooting the arrow into the sky and the and the archer is half horse, half animal. So in a way it's the striving to get above our animal nature and reach into the divine proportion, into the realms of heaven. However, we often do it with moral um, certainty that puts us on a place that has is more opinionated than is based upon the truth of what's out there and it's a delicate dance it's a delicate dance. Grant Louis, one of my favorite astrologers who wrote in the 1940s and 50s in the and um, uh, the first editor of Horoscope magazine, Grant Louis said that that S- Saturn and Sagittarius would rather have um a direction, uh, a mountain in front of them. I think of it as a fire on the mountain. Mm. Sagittarius, uh, Saturn and Sagittarius would rather have some place to go that was in the right direction on the right path than the Capricorn who has a plan to get there. Sagittarius doesn't have to get there. It just needs to go, no, it's going in the right direction. And I think that when Saturn is in Sagittarius for the next couple of years, it's it's an abil- It gives us the ability to think about how we're going to structure our journey and where we want to go. With Saturn and Scorpio, we've been dealing down in the swamps, down in the in the nether realms, down in the you know in the caverns, in the deep, dark, hidden, murky, watery, heavy, emotionally intense places. And now I think we get a chance to look ahead, but we can't do it willy nilly. We look ahead with substance.
0: Right. Right. That's so beautiful. And so, and so this is, you know, you know, do you, do you want, should we talk a little bit about how each sign should, how, like what, what each sign can do to prepare for this, for this, for this
2: change? Sure. <laughs> you, so, you, you go first. Aries well, is screaming. Aries Aries, yeah. Aries, Aries, Aries wants to go without Saturn.
0: Exactly. So.
2: Exactly. A- 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 Aries, w- Aries, especially with Uranus in Aries now, um, Saturn. Uh, I'm sorry, Aries would like Doctor Zodiac to come and perform a Saturnectomy.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I agree. And 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 so what about you? So you're in Aries. Is that is that how you're feeling right now?
2: Well. Actually, maybe maybe I need to eat my words because I'm looking forward to Saturn and Sag to perhaps ground some of the craziness that's been in my life for the last couple of years. Um, you know, with Uranus lining up. I mean, as we speak now, Uranus is lined up with my son. Mm-hmm. And so Saturn into is going to harmonize with, you know, Aries. And although Aries doesn't typically like, the idea of being told no, I think that while Saturn is moving through um, Sagittarius, I think sa- Aries can work with that energy more so than usual. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. I think that that goes for, you know, for so for the, our fire and air signs, well, our fire and air signs, of Libra oh, and yeah. Aries. Not necessarily, Gemini. You know, you might have times when when Saturn's going to oppose your sun, which which you know usually it's that you're you're that that burning bush keeps on the minute you think you see it, it keeps moving, and you realize the mountain keeps getting higher. So, kind of using that analogy, it's like you know, trying to 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 gain some structure, trying to to ground any of your dreams, any of your ideals. You might feel like the the universe is sort of pulling pulling things away, but it's it's ultimately, I mean, the spiritual purpose of it, of those kinds of struggles, those kind of Saturn struggles is, is how, how are, how, you know, it's like a test of wills. Like how far are you willing to go in order to, to manifest what it is that you want in order to ground your reality?
2: And I think for, for Gemini, remember Saturn is as far away from their sun as it can ever get. And so there's often a feeling with, for Gemini's um, that, that um, that Tauruses may have had over the last couple of years. <laughs> right. um, it, it may feel like like the the ultimate goal is very far away. And it is. Saturn mm-hmm. is as far away as it can get. And so there may be feelings of discouragement or feelings of let, needing to let things go. Um, but, you know, then we we skipped over Taurus, and you know, for Taurus, with Saturn and Sagittarius I think that there's a little bit of a confusion because Taurus would would prefer to maintain the status quo mm-hmm. and that Saturn in in Sagittarius is basically giving Taurus a good reason to move ahead but it's not convincing enough and so there's a bit of a struggle there I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um and and what I so we also have in the midst in the midst of of, of some of these 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 sort of longer term influences. So Saturn lasts, enters into a sign and is there for about two and a half years, mm-hmm. and um, Jupiter moves into a sign and is there for about eleven months, and uh, and so we have some also some some sort of times this year when there are influences that might not necessarily last have as much of a, of a, a long, long-term influence, but that, that are still going to be pretty impactful. Like, um, for example, Venus goes retrograde this summer. Um, and that's something that happens. Um, it's, it's not really, it's not something that happens every year. And so it's, no, it's about that, every
2: other year. Yeah. It's about every other year, a little bit mm-hmm. less than that. Right. And Venus goes retrograde by 25th, September 6th, right.
0: And it's From doing birthday, that. Birthday, birthday, yeah. Birthday, yeah. Birthday. Well, you know, it,
2: She barely gets into Virgo. She does it at zero degrees of Virgo, first degree of Virgo. And so it's like I get the sense that Venus is having too much fun being in the fire sign party. (laughs) <laughs> she goes into virgo and she goes wait 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 a minute this is just i'm not quite ready i'm not finished partying and she right. backs up and spends quite a bit more time um you know in 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 leo before she finally moves into virgo to join what's building as we talked about earlier this larger move from uh fire to from from fire to um earth from from cardinal to mutable so mm-hmm. yeah
0: definitely and uh, and you know, anytime Venus is retrograde, it's a it's a real good time to sort of. It, it's a time when when your past relationships sort of come come back into your present reality, and so it's a it's a good time to sort of do any kind of healing, do any kind of 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 you know of, of therapy work or anything to sort of make sure that you're not repeating patterns in your in your in your life.
2: Yeah, I I agree, and yet I think that we tend to give we astrologers in general tend to give <coughs> excuse me Mercury tend to give retrogrades in general a bad a bad rap. Hold on a second.
0: Sure, no, I agree <coughs> with you. It's it's <coughs> like the, you can use that influence to really move move past some things Three. that 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 uh that are. Are
2: you okay? <clears throat> I'm okay, but drinking drinking water is bad TV and radio. I know. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so so the thing about retrogrades is this, and I'm and and we're talking about the Venus retrograde, but we're also talking about three Mercury retrogrades. Um, the first at the end of January, uh, the second at the early part of June, June 11th, and the third in mid September, when Mercury turns retrograde for three weeks, or when Um, Venus turns retrograde uh, for 40 days. Um, There's a sense that that the planet involved is closer to Earth. And what happens is that the energy actually is amplified. It doesn't get less. It gets more. The problem is that most of us are not able to handle the energy even in a normal way in our lives. So we freak out and we go. It's like giving... It's like giving speed to a hyperactive child. Uh, When I say speed, I mean the pharmaceutically correct speed, of course, whether it's Ritalin or whatever. But basically, you, you have someone who's who's all charged up and you give them a drug that makes them more charged up and that shuts them down
0: mm-hmm
2: that's what happens with a retrograde. Mm-hmm. It's not a, and so the so the practice of retrogrades, especially the Venus retrogrades which which lasts longer than than the mercury retrogrades, is that with issues of the heart that rather, than repressing or suppressing or going quiet or pulling the energy in and waiting for the lightning to strike from the outside instead of that actually looking at the issues in our lives where that are Venus related that are about our attractions and our desires and the things in the past, perhaps, because it is moving backwards from mm-hmm. Earth's point of view, the things in the past that maybe haven't been completed or need completion, what can we do to initiate the action rather than waiting passively for it to happen to us?
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. We, we have a question uh, from John, I believe. Any correlation to the winter solstice and purging? John wants well,
2: to know. I, I need definition of purging. <laughs> <coughs> are we talking about eating too much on Christmas Day? You know, <laughs> that kind of purging? Or are we talking about an emotional purging?
0: I think he's probably talking about I think it's safe to say it's probably an emotional purging that we're talking about.
2: <coughs> well, I, I think that the the winter solstice, which we celebrate um depending upon our religion um we depending i, I got it John I see um mm-hmm. John says that he was really sick the, the the night before the solstice um when we talk about the winter solstice we actually can extend it a few days in either direction and include you know the the christmas holiday which actually not only is a solstice holiday but 300 years before the birth of Jesus um, Mithraism was celebrating the birth of their savior, uh, born of a virgin birth, on the, the days after the winter equinox. They were celebrating the same thing. I mean, go figure. I mean, it's it's there. It's it's history. People can read about it if they want to. But I do think that what happens at the dark of the sun is that there is a lot of fear around it, whether we express it or know about it consciously. Even cellularly, there's like a change of the tide. Mm-hmm. And so that if there is a sickness or a purging, I've I've seen this when when outer planets change signs that someone can get very sick for a couple of days, almost as if their body is doing what it needs to to either rest or to catch up or to take a breath or to go through some sort of motion. And, you know, the idea of, you know, of, of kind of really cleaning out. At the end of a cycle is always a good idea. This Christmas Eve, I mean, or this, I'm sorry, Solstice Eve, you know, was also right around the time of Saturn's changing signs, also. And And, a new moon. And a new moon, and obviously the new season. Yeah. So yeah, I think all those things add up. And and again, I think I'm going to bring back in my term the cosmic slop factor because <laughs> I, I think that we astrologers really like the precision of our calculations. And yet if you look at at, at mom, you know, and I mean mother nature here when I say mom. You know, if you look at if you look at if you look at mother nature, <clears throat> she doesn't like exactitude. You know, mm. she doesn't like She doesn't like numbers that actually are precise as our slide rules and computers um, would like to think. You know, she likes cycles, whether it's a menstrual cycle or a processional cycle. She likes cycles that kind of have the ability to, to adjust themselves to what's going on. And so, um, and so I think that when we get a transit that, that our body reacts like John's a day or two, you know, prior or, or whatever it is, I think that's just part of the allowance of the way astrology works. And it's a good lesson for astrologers who think that they can predict everything precisely, um, ain't never going to happen.
0: Exactly, and also I think sometimes too, the body gets sick when because the body contains those kind of messages that that we the body contains the messages of things that we might not necessarily be conscious of. We might not necessarily see the what needs to what needs to come up or what needs to emerge, and so the body gives us it, it, it sort of gets sick to to help us exactly. still ourselves, quiet down, so that then we have no choice but to feel what it is that we need to be pur- purging and to, to to run through the experience of it and then move move into something new, shift into and something that, new.
2: And that would be on the repression rather than yeah. suppression side because when we have those kinds of somatic reactions, often it has nothing to do with what we think we know.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. So um, let's see. What... What, uh, what other influence so we, kind of moving all, um, back into to, and thank you so much for the, for the question, John, that was really that was really important. Um, and, and so moving back into 2015, um, we also have a couple of significant eclipses that are that are taking place that I kind of wanted to, to ask you about. The first one being March 20th, which is happening pretty close to that Uranus Pluto square that we talked about. And, I, and how, how do you think, what do you think about eclipses?
2: Well, I think eclipses change up the energy. And, and, and just for, as, as a matter of interest, eclipses come in pairs. And we do have mm-hmm. typically four eclipses a year, some years five. Um, but the March 20th uh, solar eclipse um, is at 29 degrees of Pisces. But the eclipse two weeks later on April 4th is at 14 degrees of Libra. Hello. I yes. know. Uh, <laughs> hello, hello Cardinal signs. <laughs> hello, hello Aries, hello Cancer, hello Libra, hello Libra.
0: <laughs> hello Capricorn. Hello Aries. <laughs> hello
2: Aries. And um and for those of you who aren't paying full attention, uh, lovely Rachel is a Libra and um and crazy Rick is an Aries. Um but but the April 4th full moon is occurring at 14 degrees 14 and a half degrees of, um, of Libra and Aries, which means that it is exactly lined up with Uranus, which is very closely um, U- Uranus at that point in time will be at 15 degrees of Aries. So it's, oh, and, and which means that it's squaring to Pluto. So the April, uh, um, the April 4th eclipse which I also must say in the spirit of full astrological disclosure, is my sun sign because I'm an April 6 birth. That eclipse is actually happening very close to the Uranus-Pluto square, and I imagine that we will see um, another reheating of all the same issues that have come up each of the seven times that we've had not only the repetition of the Uranus-Pluto square, but another thing that happens, which which I like to call cosmic resonance um, or, or, or being in a cosmic feedback loop, <laughs> which is basically every time the inner planets, the Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars make conjunctions or squares um, or oppositions to the Uranus-Pluto square, it heats that event up and personalize it personalizes it because the faster moving planets act as triggers. So during that early April period of time, we're gonna have the sun moving through the square. Like now we have it and up through the new year, we have it the we have the sun moving through the square by its conjunction with Pluto and Capricorn and its square to Uranus in Aries. So in the spring, the sun will be back in that mix as it conjuncts Uranus and Aries and squares Pluto and Capricorn, except it'll be an eclipse also. And you asked about eclipses. Eclipses to me are like, it's it's like someone flipping the light switch on and off. You know, that which can induce epilepsy, unfortunately. (laughs) No, but but the image is very well. I mean, that the image was 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 meant to be funny and not funny, because what happens is that it's taken it's it's taken two weeks for the light to gradually build or to go away, you know, during whether it's an eclipse or, you know, a uh, solar or lunar eclipse. And then all of a sudden, within a matter of minutes, it's like the light goes out and comes back on again. So it's like these normal rhythms get messed with. And I remember at the I've only exp- I've, I've experienced many eclipses, but I was at one total eclipse that was at a the August 1999 Grand Square Leo solar eclipse. And I wow. was in England at an astrolog speaking at an astrology convention in Plymouth. And it was on the totality on the totality line. And. And there I was in 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 Plymouth, standing on the side of a hill. It was a bit cloudy, and Rob Hand was chanting in Latin a a a, a um chant to the god Mercury to incant the opening of the clouds. It was wow, a pretty that's crazy.
0: Incredible! That sounds amazing. Pre-
2: <laughs> but the feeling, even though it was slightly clouded, and I didn't actually get to see. The, um, the the blocking out of the sun, uh, um, you know, completely. Uh, it became totally dark in a matter of a few minutes. The street lights went on in Plymouth, and birds circled, and it was like evening for a minute. And then it was totally nighttime, and then all of a sudden the lights came back on, and it's very, very freaky. I mean, it's it gives you the sense – it's like being in an earthquake where the ground that you stand on, you stand on it until you feel it turn to water for a few seconds, and it ripples, and it's very crazy being in a strong earthquake for those of you who have – well, this is like that because eclipses basically rattle our system. And in, in the ancient lore, the solar eclipse, the mythology was the king must die you know, there's a change of energy because it it stirs things up. And how to track eclipses is sometimes difficult because the energy doesn't occur necessarily on that day. Um, Eclipse watchers tell me, and I've kind of observed this, that eclipses can be activated in a chart for up to six months prior or six months after, but it definitely sensitizes those areas in our lives. And so the first eclipse in Aries um you know the an april 4th i think is very important and then we get a replay of it later in the year
0: right right so we i think i i agree with you i i think that 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 earthquake analogy is the one i always like to use with eclipses because a lot of times big bodies of water the earth moving in conjunction with big bodies of water, and, and so water looking at, like symbolically, water being our emotions, being things, um, things, maybe emotions that we've repressed or suppressed or emotions that we've sort of stifled. And, and so what, can, what you can do to get ready for eclipses, and what I like to do is to really sort of go and do that inventory before we get into the eclipse season and before we get into those eclipse cycles um to kind of bring things up, unearth anything that needs to be unearthed. Um, uh, Robin says, what ultimately does astrology call us, uh, guide us to do be in our lifetimes?
2: That's easy.
0: I and know I, simple simple answer. <laughs> and,
2: and difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's one of those quantum paradoxes, you know, it's, it's particle and wave, it's easy and impossible. It, it, the, the answer to the question is easy. Astrology basically, Robin, um, calls us to pay attention and to pay attention to things that may be not in our perception of normal rhythms. I mean, we're not taught as children, we're taught to pay attention to the seasons, but we're not taught to pay attention to the lunar cycles hmm. You know, and, and, and that's difficult because that connects us to our bodies and to our emotions, especially for women. But for everyone, um, we're not taught to pay attention to Saturn's cycles. And yet once you begin paying attention to these cycles, they they impact us. You know, you know, women bleed according to the moon, whether or not they believe in astrology. Right. <laughs>
0: you know, it doesn't it yes.
2: doesn't require belief for it yes. to work. You know, people say, do you believe in astrology? Astrology doesn't require belief. It's something to know about. If you don't know about it, you know, if you don't know about chemistry, you don't know how hydrogen and oxygen combine to make water, but it does it anyhow, and you can drink it. So, so the simple answer to your question, Robin, is that astrology is an invitation to pay attention to those things that are outside of our normal senses, our five senses, which are not the only inlets of reality. We've been tricked into thinking that they are. Deepak Chopra calls it the superstition of materialism that we're suffering from.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, now, putting that into practice, though, and this is it's easy. The answer is easy. Pay attention. It's difficult to actually do it because it takes it takes work it takes learning it takes practice it's not astrology isn't one of my complaints about astrology is that many people uh, practice it as a mental yoga astrology isn't just for something to be up above the throat chakra Astrology is to be grounded in our bodies, in our lives, in the material realms, whether you use crystals or whether you um, breathe, whether you work, whether you do tantra sex, whether you, um, um, you know, whatever it is, it ha- the energy has to be brought into the body because that's where the unconscious becomes conscious.
0: And astrology connects us to I mean, each planet rules a different chakra system and a different ray and a different part of the body. So Exactly. You, so you cannot so you in, in, in studying astrology, you learn how to use that some, the symbolism of it and and even understand your own your own physical inner, you know, the inner workings of, of, of yourself, your body um and and your personality uh in a more complete way. So we have we have just one minute, and uh, and Rick, how can people find you? I, I want everybody to, to be able to to find you, read your horoscopes, and 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 reach out for consultations.
2: Just close their eyes, let the energy be with them, and think of me, and I'll hear. <laughs> no, uh, best way to best way to reach me um, is R. Levine, R. L. E. V. I. N. E. R. Levine at Star IQ Think Smart Stars. R. Levine at stariq.com. That's the best way to reach me. Um, uh, stariq.com is the mother load for my daily column, which appears on tarot.com, um, Yahoo, um, Huffington Post, AOL, MySpace. I mean, it's, that, that's all around. But the best way to re- reach me directly is through email.
0: Great. Wonderful. Well, Rick, thank you so, so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show.
2: What fun. What fun. Thank you. I look Great. forward to doing this again. If I didn't blow it this time, I hope. No,
0: be- absolutely. No, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> thank All right. You.
2: Thank Bye. you all. And everyone Have a have an absolutely wonderful holiday season. The new year stands in front of us like a baby just born. It's innocent. Make it whatever you want. Don't screw it up.
0: Beautiful. Thanks, Rick. And thank you all for listening. This has been and Up. I've been I'm your host, Rachel Lang, and I've been so excited to be here today. Thank you so much to Rick Levine. Thank you to my amazing team, my creative team, Valerie, Madden, Michelle Polino, Lori Gold, Allison Lang. John Williams, Tony Sweet, you're all with me every week, and I cannot wait to bring in the new year with you. So thank you, thank you. Also, thank you to Robin Kaiser, David Yepes, and the Live Box magazine. You can find my 2015 projections and horoscopes there. Um, and coming up next on UBN Radio, we have The World of Schwartz, Tech Cat with Lori Schwartz. So thank you, and have a wonderful, happy new year.